Hey everyone, this is my brother Michael. My brother Adam. We're the Sharf Brothers. You're listening to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. M3 Artist Community. Glad to have you guys here. We are very excited to have you here. Super excited you're listening to the podcast. Actually. Absolutely. And, and incredibly stoked to be talking to Michael Gallant. So excited. So Michael has one of these, you know, sometimes you look at somebody's resume and you go, nah, and you go, no, sir, that's not, I'm way better. That's than not that. real. I'm, oh, I'm, I was going the other way. Oh, I'm, not me. I was I'm going... way better than that. And then you look at, sometimes you look at somebody's resume, you're like, I'm a loser. <laughs> I haven't done anything with my life. What, was what am thing? I doing? Why I am I wasting my time? I haven't done anything. So Michael, Michael is a New York based pianist, keyboardist, composer, producer, writer, and my favorite part of this. Love it. Entrepreneur. Yes. Why? Because he understands how the modern music industry works. He gets it. That's why. He gets it. And we, we, before doing research for this, we realized we've been reading his articles on the Discmakers blog for years. Literally for years. So, yeah. You guys, you, you might want to get a pen and paper out for this one. This is, is going to be one you're going to listen to a couple of times, I think. Yeah. So. I know I am. <laughs> oh, me too. Absolutely. Michael Gallon. Michael! Thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you. Good to, uh, good to be here. Michael, great to great to speak with you today. We've been uh, we've been looking forward to this for weeks. My pleasure, and I appreciate you guys having me. You bet. Well, and it's a good thing we had some we we had weeks because we didn't know you'd written. Oh my god! How, how many? What? You how are many, so prolific. How many blogs have you written on just on the Disc Makers site? Definitely in the dozens. I don't know if I've oh, written a hundred, but yeah, it's a it's, lot. It's definitely in the dozens because I've read dozens of your <laughs> of your blog posts. On. And what was great was I kept going. Oh man, I remember reading this one. This exactly. is a great one. Exactly. So exactly. we're we're super excited to have you on. Very, and we're gonna tr- we're gonna try to keep it um, focused on um, being hired as a as a uh, side musician, if we can. And I will try not to jump around <laughs> too much to the other stuff that I love that you wrote. Although I'm sure some of it will leak in. Thank you. Please, please jump as you see fit. I'm, uh, all right. I'm happy to go anywhere. <laughs> All right, so so give us a little bit of a background, just for people who don't know who, who you are and don't know your history. How old were you when you started playing? Uh, five years old, I believe, and I started playing uh, professionally. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and um, started gigging around age 13 or 14 and um, <laughs> just doing um, jazz combo things and cocktail piano, um, a lot of fun stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and so what, what was it that sparked um, the jazz itch for you? Because, you know, you know, I, not everybody who's 12, 13 years old would gravitate towards that. They might be doing, you know, rock or, you know, you're a piano player. So I know you've interviewed Billy Joel, but, like, that would be, you know, most of the piano players I know, that's where they go. What, what inspired you to do jazz? Got it. Well, a lot of that, uh, first off, I, I think I owe to my parents because I, I grew up in a house where a lot of music uh, was played. So I remember That's being great. exposed to a lot of good classical music, a lot of good um, Broadway show tunes, and also jazz, just as uh, a matter of course. Yeah. What really did it for me, though, was um, I had to switch piano teachers um, at, at some point pretty early on. And I ended up working with a woman named Maria Rodriguez, who um, she was at the Levine School of Music in Washington, D.C. And she uh, taught me 
um, classical piano, uh, at least to start, but she was also a gigging professional, pretty amazing uh, jazz piano player as well. <laughs> and she uh, started to teach me to improvise and started to teach me the blues and the idea that the space in between the notes was just as important or possibly more important right. than the notes themselves. And once uh, once I kind of got a taste for that, I... Uh, I never looked back. Absolutely. <laughs> and I got I got to ask cuz that's a what a brilliant thing to tell a young student. How young were you when she was telling you about the space between the notes? Oh man. Um early teenage years. Uh oh, I'm afraid I can't date it any more specific. Yeah, that's no, no, perfect, no, that's though. great though. And and what a what a brilliant thing for a young student to hear. Yeah. 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 I was I was very fortunate to get to work with a woman like that. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, that that totally makes sense then about why you would gravitate toward that. I mean, if you got a great teacher, that is the inspiration right there. That you just listen to it differently when that's the person who's your mentor. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So then, initially from there, you're gigging around. Are you still in the D.C. area, by the way, or are you in New York now? No, in the D.C. area. Okay, great. Um, I was in. Uh, uh, as I said, I grew up in Rockville, Maryland, mm-hmm. um, went to school in D.C., and I was there until I graduated from high school. Um, then I came to New York for college. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Great. Well, so you're, you're, say, 13, 14, doing gigs, which is awesome, living the dream, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, you know, because anybody who's a musician who's 13 or 14, what they want to be doing is doing gigs. Absolutely. And so I love that you were already doing that. So when... Did you notice the idea of this that that there were side people right away, or were you initially enamored with your own brilliance, and then to supplement that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm talking. A, no, I'm talking from a personal experience. Like, because I'm an thinking. Unfortunate way to say that. Well, but I'm 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 going back into my own 13 year old brain where it's all about me, and I'm right. Because I never, like you, I didn't, so. I don't think I noticed the idea of a, a side guy even being a thing until I was in my early 20s. So how how early were you were you hip to that? Well, first let me say I, I'm still enamored by my own brilliance. Like that, <laughs> that's ongoing. See, Michael, take that. See, yeah. he thought I had offended you, and I was just you know I could feel it. I could feel a kindred spirit, man. Come on. <laughs> yep. I think we all should be enamored by our brilliance. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, it's that's a good question. Um, I've never actually thought about that before, and I, I think um, I was aware of it pretty uh, pretty early on, and a lot of it just had to do with the, sort of the, the culture I was in once I started playing jazz and actually doing it for money mm-hmm. and um, doing it for events and such, because right. there'd be something where maybe I'd be the one who found the gig, and it could just right. be like, hey, we're playing on a Friday night at Borders Books and Music mm-hmm. on Rockville Pike. Okay, <laughs> who am I going to call? Right. Yeah. Um, or it could be something where, uh, you know, this trumpet player that I met who was a high school student or a college student right. um, called me and needed um, a piano player for uh, a gig that he'd been doing regularly. Yeah. And it's uh, you, you just learn to pretty fluidly shift the roles between, okay, I'm kind of in the band leader role to, okay, I'm kind of in the side musician role. I'm playing, you know, someone else is calling the shots. It's my job to show up, you know, be professional, play good music, and, right. uh, and have fun. Yeah. And, of course, be awesome. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Which is, is the same whether you're 
calling the shots or not. But yeah, it doesn't I, it's matter. So, so fascinating. And I'm, as I'm listening to you talk about that, I can hear it as maybe a different musical culture. Like well, I was just going to say the, exactly the same thing. Right. Being, being in rock in the you know in the 80s and early 90s and starting out, it, that was not a thing. You did not. The only time that you did that, the only people that I knew that did that were drummers because there was never a, enough drummers. Right. For bands. So there was, so you know. The, like one drummer that played in six different bands. <laughs> exactly. It was a but, battle of the bands and they all have the same drummer. And, but yeah, but since growing growing in music, we getting to know the jazz culture a, a little bit better, that does seem to be something much more common with you cats. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I really get the sense that it's a lot more of a community and uh, relationship-based yeah. uh, ecosystem. And... Um, Great you word. know, just speaking for myself, I have, uh, uh, you know, my, my address book, my roster. Um, I have, um, you know, men and women who I like to call for uh, for different purposes, for different gigs, um, different vibes. And yeah. uh, a lot of it is just, you know, who do I click with in certain right. settings? Who, you know, do I know can bring the right elements themselves? And, you know, also who can inspire and summon the right musical elements from me and give me the support that I need when I'm playing uh, band leader. I, I do want to say, though, it's, you know, it, it's interesting because I think in a lot of rock and roll settings, you guys are absolutely right. Um, but there are a lot of people that I know here in New York who play all sorts of music, mm-hmm. pop, rock, jazz, R&B, metal, hip hop, all sorts of things. I love that because, and, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was going to add on top of that and say, this is one of the reasons I was so interested to talk to you about this because it is something that Adam and I have been noticing with our artists and uh, in our mentor mentorships is that this is becoming more of a way to, and I don't know if it's directly in a response to the the change in the industry from lack of sales, that it's, it is important to look for as many revenue streams as you can, and one of those being your skill as a player. And I'm noticing it more in all fields, not just jazz, but you, like you said, rock and hip-hop and and R&B and metal and punk and, you know, Americana. Because yeah, when I'm listening to you describe how even as a young guy you were you were taking all this in and, and thinking of it as uh, part of your job to be part of the community and to sometimes be in the leader role and sometimes be in the support role and understanding that these different relationships feed different parts of you and draw different things out of you. That is so high-level thinking in terms of musical community that I was not at all privy to, at least internally, until, again, until my late, probably late 20s for that. But I, we are noticing younger musicians now, even in the rock world or the Americana world or hip-hop world, having more team-oriented things rather than a group of people, and these are the only people I play with. Right. Like, yeah. Less insular. Yes. Yeah, understood. I, uh, I, I do wonder how much of it, like you said, is kind of economically driven. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of it, I think, is just the sign of the times when it comes to uh, the styles. Um, I, I was just listening to, uh, to Rag and Bone Man, um, and uh, I, I love the song Human. I think I might be a little late to the game, um, <laughs> you know, falling in love with that song. Right. But, uh, I recently fell in love with it. Yeah. And I, when I listen to it, I'm like, is this rock? Is this blues? Is this yeah. funk? Is this like, you know, 
an old school work song. It's, right. it's kind of all of those things. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the music that we're hearing, uh, to my ears at least, really come to light is such an interesting hybrid of different styles. Right. Uh, I just think that's what's happening right now. And um, it's interesting. I wonder whether it's a, a chicken or an egg, whether <laughs> that is forcing um, a lot of uh, up-and-coming musicians to become fluent in different styles and to be able to jump around, or if it's a result of that uh, that mishmash, if you will. Yeah, yeah. That's no, a great question, and, and uh, for which I certainly don't have an answer yet. Yeah, probably philosophically, what strikes me is that it. Um, again, I do. I, I tend to to feel like it was pushed by the uh, the economic situation in the industry uh, right now. But that then, of course, like everything else, once something like that takes shape and takes root, then it can just sort of become the norm of that culture. You know. So I yeah. I have always thought that that jazz guys uh, and women were are were better at community because they were forced to be because it was it was less likely to get the big score from you know a, a song or a hit uh, than it is than it was in popular music. Well, not that jazz isn't popular, but it was popular music that, that, at the time. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm I'm going to argue with you a little bit on please, that. Less, please, please do. It, uh, <laughs> no, please. Uh, because it, it it wasn't always that way. You know, there were times when. Um, you know, seminal jazz albums were the ones at the top of the chart. Totally, and totally. Even even back then, it was the same dynamic. I think a lot of it okay. has to come uh, from the improvisational uh, nature, and uh, sure. to a certain uh, to a certain extent, the idea of okay, what happens when you get Miles Davis and McCoy Tyner and John Coltrane right. together in a room, right? Um, as Usually, opposed to when they're playing with other bands. Yeah. yeah, if you get those guys together, something pretty amazing. Something is pretty happen. great is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and I, th- that's fascinating. And looking back over, sort of, I have all these pictures of different um, jazz artists and 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 different like Charlie Parker stuff I've heard, and it's always different cats he's playing with, and and they all have a different feel, and it's a different time, and a different club, and a different what whatever yeah. the elements were, and that rock has a little bit of that, but they usually call them supergroups. Right. I mean, then you think <laughs> yeah. of things like Cream or, you know, it, where there's a bunch of different superstars that get together for an album or for a set or for it's and I you know, just the nature of like you brought up with the nature of improv and and needing to be able to understand that the other person you're playing with is a person rather than an element of. You're, I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Now I'm going to have to. I'm not going to be able to think, figure it all out now. You know. I just yeah. want to. <laughs> I like that answer. That it's that it, that it could be the improvisational nature of it. That that completely makes sense to me. Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> yeah, these are definitely some uh, some tricky questions we're yeah. we're bringing up. Um, you know, some of it also makes me think of 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 marketing, and this is something that's been kind of floating around in my head recently. Uh, and also with supergroups, what an unfortunate name! I know. Is it just me, or do do most supergroups that you listen to just kind of fall, fall flat? flat. Yes. Totally. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely. What do I now want to listen to? Anything that starts with supergroup or ends with supergroup? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I thought Audio Slave was. Uh, I thought Audio Slave was kind of cool. That's true. I liked them. And wasn't that they had an wait, album? And didn't wasn't that was cool? Temple of the Dog wasn't that. Soundgarden and 
Pearl Jam, members of both of those groups, they did that tune, um, Hunger Strike? They they did. Uh, Pearl Jam is my favorite band of all time, and, you know, I kind of liked Temple of the Dog. It, it didn't really do anything for me. So, but that fit more into the supergroup moniker we were just discussing for you, where it was like, yeah. Tastes right. like, yeah, tastes but like that chicken. was a super group before they were super. That's true. That's right. They weren't even super yet, and they're forming a super group, so they were ahead of their time. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe you could call that like an incubator group. An incubator group. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes, a, 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 a GMO incubator group because it's genetically engineered to... Right. 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 Which means, of course, it's go. not going to taste as good. No, There's no way, and it's not... It can't as, be as good it, for you. It doesn't sustain it you as well as good for you. <laughs> This is awesome. definitely questionable. So, so to, let's. I, I do want. Let's try to dive into uh, this. Uh, so, you have this great piece on 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 the Disc Maker's site about being a musician for hire. Uh, it came out this past summer, and I just was. I I loved it. Um, I have assigned it a couple of different times. He laughed. He cried. <laughs> I've gone back to time and time. He's again. read it again and again. It's better than cats. I. I loved it because a lot of what uh, what's in it um, um, from an uh, an egomaniacal standpoint, I loved it because it talks about a lot of stuff that I've been talking about for years. <laughs> um, but one of the things that that you talk about um, very very well that I that I think it's missed a lot. There are two two main points that I loved in here that I'd love to dive into a little bit more and have you talk about are being upfront about expectations and being upfront about money. Those to me are are so important and the most overlooked. I agree that they are hugely important, and it it actually surprises me a little bit that they're yeah. the most overlooked. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is these are qualities that pretty much anyone in any professional setting would be well advised <laughs> to. To exercise, absolutely. Um, you you want you want to know what's expected of you. You want the people working with you to know what you expect, what success looks like, and um, you want to know how much you're getting paid, how you're getting paid, mm-hmm. and when. Because um, I mean, I, I've I've seen enough stupid arguments and pointless oh, yeah. conflict yeah. based on those two qualities that it's just nip, nip it in the bud. Be yeah. upfront about both. If you can pay only five bucks and buy someone a beer for a gig, just say that up front. Right. And then everybody goes in with open eyes. And um, if then the person can always say, you know, respectfully, look, I know that's all you can do for this. I'm sorry, I can't make that work. Right. Maybe you should check out my buddy. Here's some other yes. people who might be interested in that sort of opportunity. Exactly. Maybe they would get more other intangible benefits out of it. Um, and, you know, another part of this, and Honestly, uh, forgive me, I don't remember if I wrote about this, is, you know, as a band leader, really trying to pay respectfully. You know, the the $5 and a beer thing, there are inevitably inevitably going to be gigs where, as a band leader, you know, you you may have to offer something that is really not worth the the talent and the experience that you're, of the person that you're trying to hire. But you really should try to be respectful. And... Um, you know, if that means paying an extra um, couple bucks and taking a few less bucks home yourself, yeah. the overall quality of the music and the vibe and the respect of the relationship, um, I, I feel like it's worth it. You know, we all have our own 
uh, budgetary restraints. We all have our own, um, you know, limitations and requirements. So we just have to do the best we can in every situation. But um, respect and, you know, the golden rule, really. Absolutely. I have everything to do with it. And I one of the reasons why I'm I speaking so much about this is I I feel like I've been on both sides so often and <laughs> I've yeah. uh I've done it right and I've done it not right on yeah. both sides. So uh I try to do it right. That's yeah. I was literally just thinking the same thing. I was thinking of a couple of different times where I went, Oh God, I wish somebody had told me that when I was twenty five. Yeah. And and I would have handled this situation differently and and you know and then I wish I'd taken my own advice in a couple of different times when I was <laughs> hired out too and n- didn't do it well. Yeah, I I, I do, do want to back up. I wanted to set this up in a way that that I forgot about. One of the things that I loved about, uh, you know, when we were when we're doing research to to talk to people, um, we generally ask for a bio from the person that we're talking to, and you were kind enough to send one out that was really really great. And one of the things that struck me in it the most was that you, among your many accomplishments as a musician and as a, as a writer and an editor, uh, you also named yourself an entrepreneur. And it, it, I love that. Because it is something that we talk about all the time with our artists, that whether you like it or not, if you decide to become a musician, you are an entrepreneur. That's just how it is. And, it, and I, you can be... A, a good and successful entrepreneur, <laughs> exactly. or you can be a not very good right. and unsuccessful one. entrepreneur. Yeah. And I love that because when you think about those two things that you just talked about, about um, being upfront about money and being upfront about expectations, those are two things in the business world that would never get left out. Right? But we, we tend to do that in the arts. Well, and I, I think it's easy to to think of the arts as the well, it's my expression and it's my soul and it's my and you and, and yes, definitely. Right. And it's also if it's your gig, it's also your gig. And I love what what, what was great, Michael. Michael, not Michael, my brother, Michael on the phone. This is a little confusing for me. It's good because <laughs> I only have to remember one name, but it is a little confusing. So Michael on the phone. Um, what was great listening to you talk about it was you were talking about it in such a a a, a, a an easy to understand sort of. Right. No kidding explanation where you go, I mean, why would you ever not talk about money or what's expected of you for the gig? Mm-hmm. You don't even, you don't get a job at, you know, a shirt store and not go, I'm, so I'm going to be folding or just <laughs> selling. Am I folding shirts and putting away? Am I checking things in? And, and how much am I going to get paid and when do I get paid? But as a musician, it's very easy not I mean, it's not it, it 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 seems that it is very easy to leave that one out and be afraid to ask or afraid to talk about it but you also talk about it about being respectful and professional and i think those are two really important points um as a musician being respectful and being professional how early was that obvious to you as a musician and as a side man? Oh, man. Um, that's, uh, that's a really good question. And uh, I think a lot of that actually goes back to uh, Maria Rodriguez, that first teacher that I was um, telling you about. Um, I, I don't remember if she ever explicitly said, uh, 
those things to me, but the way that she carried out her own professional life. And uh, she she taught by example. And I think I just yeah. picked up a lot of that by osmosis uh, from her. And uh, then also some of it is just, you know, trial by error and learning on the job. Um, it became pretty clear that if, uh, you know, if, if respect and professionalism were engaged, then that really increased the chances of getting another call, yeah. continuing to work with whoever um, you happen to be working with at the time. Which is it, it, it's amazing. It's so funny. I, I wonder how much of this stuff that you know that feels sort of just core-level basic understanding for you you can trace back to Maria Rodriguez laying a brilliant example for you that it just became obvious for you. And you're, you were picking it up, like you said, through osmosis, just by being around it and by being around someone who's respectful and, and professional and talented and a cool human and, and being able to model that and seeing that as an option. Kind of like, you know, how, you know, lots of professional baseball players, kids end up being professional baseball players because they know it's a thing and they're talented and right. But, but I wonder how much of that um, is floating around in your head. There's, there's a lot to be said for uh, having the luck to find the right mentor at the right time and uh, getting the, uh, the right direction. And um, yeah, that's, that's really a lot of what it came down to. And again, you could, you could have all that information floating around in your head and have no talent, and you, you're not going to be where you are. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, talent, talent's helpful as well, right? And, and practice and, and, and all of perseverance and all the other things too. But, but like putting those brilliant bits of knowledge on, some, on a cat who's, who's got skills uh, just sounds like it set you up in a, in a good way. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the things that you talk about um, in a number of different places, uh, not just this article, but a number of different places uh, in your writing is about, uh, yeah, I'm going to put it in my vernacular and just say, you describe that what's in, one of the things that's really important is to be a good hang. That you want to, it doesn't, it, it's really important to not be high maintenance, to, uh, you know, be pleasant you know, bring in, bring in a good attitude uh, to the situation, and and I'd love to hear you just expand upon that a, a, just a little bit, if you can, for us. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, there's a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on on the one hand, yes, being being a good hang and being low maintenance, I, I think, is important. But there's there's a fine line. You shouldn't be someone that you're not, and right. you shouldn't lie and bring a persona to uh, <laughs> to the the table. Um, again, I've I've worked with side people who were just really into it, and mm-hmm. they they were there because they wanted to make good music, yeah. and they liked the project, and they liked working with me. I liked working with them. And we were just going to work together and try to make something really cool. That's the best. And I've been in situations where when I've been called uh, for a recording session or, um, you know, I'm I'm flashing back to uh, uh, an R&B hip-hop group that I um, did a few gigs with Mm -hmm. when 
when I was first in college here in New York, and I was over the moon. It was so much fun <laughs> playing that sort of music, and um, it, it was just a particular vibe and um, type of gig that I hadn't really done before. And I was excited. I was really happy to be there. I was really happy to learn and to work with my collaborators and just try to come up with something cool. Um, so that's the best, when you can just have that positive, collaborative energy. I think that's what you want. Now, everybody has bad days. Right. Um, sure. Maybe your dog is sick and your car broke down. <laughs> you know, something political is going on that you don't particularly like. Right, right. Uh, yeah. right. There, there can be all sorts of things that can that can be negative. And uh, again, I think like with pretty much any job or any meeting, you want to try to leave that at the door as much yeah. as is reasonable. You don't want that to steep in and right. kind of taint uh, the, the, the professional positive interaction that you're trying. Now, flip side of that is if you want to try to channel some of that, uh, that frustration or whatever the negative emotion is into the music itself, <laughs> great, do it. That, that could make you right. come up with some really interesting things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you're in a band setting and somebody comes in, you know, all grumpy, dark rain cloud over their head, that, that can just kind of sour things. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's a certain amount of being able to kind of separate, leave your troubles at the door, and also just just trying to be in the moment and Absolutely. enjoy what you're doing and remember why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, yes, to be realistic, uh, especially if you're a full-time working musician, you're going to probably at some point have to take gigs that you may not particularly want to take. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in, in that sort of situation... Um, there, there have definitely been gigs where I've, I've taken them, even though I may have had uh, reservations or gigs where when I showed up, they weren't exactly what I expected. Right. Um, again, what I've tried to do and what I would advise others to do is try to find what you can learn from it. Yeah. Try to find uh, the positive nugget. Right. Uh, even if it turns out that you're playing a bunch of like Barney cover songs that make you just want <laughs> right, right. to you know, throw up into your bass drum or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, see, see how you can use that opportunity to grow as a musician because there's, there's always a way. Absolutely. It's something little and innocuous. Just try to stay positive, roll with it, and you, know, you never know if that bass player... This is another thing. You never know if that bass player on that horrible Barney cover... <laughs> You think there actually are Barney cover song bands? Uh, you know, I, probably. God, I, there probably are. And if there aren't, it makes me want to put one together just to do one gig and see what the reaction <laughs> would be. I'm not dressing yeah. up like a purple dinosaur. It's not happening. Don't even think. Wear a hat? Purple no. hat? No. No. Yeah, no. I, I'm sure there are. Really? And, and I'm sure there are worse gigs. There have got to be. Right? Right? Because there's, you know, there's always something worse. Well, it's so funny. You're touching on like eight different topics yeah. that are just all exploding my brain. So one of them is knowing yourself. Right. Knowing your... Uh, um, authenticity. Authenticity. Knowing Being authentic. And knowing what's going to be authentic for you. And yes, sometimes as a working musician, you may actually need to take gigs that don't... Reflect that. Reflect your authentic yeah. being. But yeah. just like any... You know, I don't particularly like taking the trash out either. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, every Friday, it's a deal. Really? Oh yeah, it's every, and it's, I hate it. 
and you love it though, right? Because everybody else loves it. But but I mean, you got to wrap your head around that too. Oh, recycling and get the whole thing. You can crank about it, or you can figure out a way to be positive about it and just be psyched that it's done. You know, got that one behind you. <laughs> it's sort of. It's not unlike everything else in life. So what is true for life is true for music, and what is true for yeah. music is true for life. Yeah. As the wonderful philosopher Mr. Miyagi would say, same, same, same. same. <laughs> I like it. Uh, there, there is one other um, uh, point on this. I just I wanted to no, please, um, yeah. to speak to. So your your bass player in the Barney Cover Band. Yeah. Um, that person, you never know when that person is right. uh, actually the music director for right. uh, an up and coming. Um, mm-hmm pop singer, and right. all of a sudden their keyboard player is sick and they need to call somebody. And they'd be like, oh, wow, that person at the Barney cover gig, even though it was an absolutely awful gig, and we all hated it. They did, um, yeah. They did great, yeah, and their attitude was fantastic, shot. and yeah. Yeah, good vibe. I'm going to give right. him a call. Absolutely. Now, I love that you brought that up because it is something, again, that we talk to about our uh, with our artists all the time when they're doing those kind of gigs is, look, you never know who's in the band with you or who's in the audience with you who will see you doing this gig and go, you know what, that, that, that musician looks like a, like a real, like a great person to hire. That's a, they look like a great hang. They got great chops, good attitude, great look, you know, just all of it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's really, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a huge, a huge point. Well, and if nobody else is going to like, nothing good comes from it other than that you did the gig and you got paid, you still have the choice to try to have a good time, enjoy what's going on, notice what kind of weird inversions this Barney music is using. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Get all theory theoried out in your head or complain and whine about it. And right. I mean, it's still always up to you. Um, yeah. But I love the way you're describing that. They just Again, it's a, it's a great way to think as a human, not just as a musician, that, you know, what can I learn from this? What, what are, what can I, what's going on here? I, you know, who do I want to be? Who yeah. do I want to present myself as? And then that's how I'm going to be. That's, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think all of this stuff is of course easier said than done. Oh, for sure. Exactly. For sure. Uh, but you want to shoot for the higher. Yeah, right? all, all good to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, one of the other things that, and I can't remember whether it's in your, uh, your side guy article or uh, you did a really great um, piece a number of years ago um, with um, uh, Kern Brantley, the uh, bass player for Lady Gaga, Mary J. Blige, among others. And uh, I can't remember if it's in both of them or in just in, in one or the other, but you talk about um, being uh, obviously being rehearsed, obviously asking the questions about, or is this a is this a music stand gig, or do you want me to memorize the stuff? Um, but also talking about looking the part, and you know, how are we going to you know how how is the band dressed? Pay attention to. So I, again, I can't remember. Forgive me, I can't remember which article it was, but there was an example of um, showing up to a uh, a gig for a um, for a, I think it was for a jazz trio. Uh, dressed all in, uh, no, it wasn't a jazz trio. Yes, it was a jazz trio for a wedding gig, dressed in eyeliner and earrings in 
in like black t-shirt and jeans. And you just go, okay, so <laughs> that's not appropriate. <laughs> but I love that you, I love that you touched on that in, in both of the pieces and in, in that a lot of times we find with, with artists that there's a resistance to image and wanting to take time to, to pay attention to that. If you want to be a side person, if you want to be a musician for hire, that is a step that cannot be ignored. Uh, for better or worse, I agree. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, for better or worse, because sometimes it's a pain and you don't really want to have to think about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're being hired for, you're basically being hired as a performer, right. then not just a musician, but a performer. Right. And if you're in a group that's getting up in front of people, then performance is part of that. And mm-hmm. what you wear, again, for better or worse, is part of that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I kind of see it as what are you going to do that's going to maximize your chances of doing a good job and having fun and making your audience happy and making your collaborators um, happy and what's going to optimize your chances of um, getting the next call. Right. And usually, at least asking or being, you know, vaguely mindful of what you're supposed to look like is uh, is helpful. Yeah, and well, I, I don't think it has to be anything dramatic. I don't think you have to bend over backwards and right. you know completely change your look or everything. But it's just is this like business casual? Is this semi formal? Is it just hey, loose, wear whatever you want and have fun? It's just good to know that going in. Right. Well, and again, the way the way you're talking about this is entrepreneurial. Yes, it is. You are talking about it. You're thinking of yourself as the business. You're the product, and so making sure that you are taking care of all of the reasons that they would say no, (laughs) right? Is that's the that's the key. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because um, when when you. I think you just said the word product. I, I felt yeah. my body tighten. I, like, I know. No, I'm not a product. I know. Music is not a product. It, it reminds me of, um, I, I've had the privilege, I, I was an editor at Keyboard Magazine yeah. for uh, four or five years, and oh. one of the artists I got to interview multiple times was Tori Amos. And oh, God. she is brilliant. Lucky and Brilliant and brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And All three. She's things, got the trampoline. <laughs> yes, Exactly. She deserves it three times. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, the lessons that I, I learned from her that I put into you know my my article at the time that really stuck with me is she uh, does she she writes songs she performs and records and she also produces quite often and I asked her what are the challenges of producing yourself in in the studio how do you deal with it because. I mean, one of the purposes of having a producer in the studio is to have an external set of eyes, right. to have right. someone tell you, all right, this is working, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Here are three things you can try that might get you closer to realizing your vision. Yeah. Um, you know, you're looking at the trees, I'm looking at the forest. <laughs> right. But if you're one artist, one person doing everything, how do you do that? Yeah. And, um, oh, shoot, I'm not remembering it correctly, but she said that she actually... It was either put on a different pair of shoes or a mm. different hat. Yeah, literally. When I love that. Shift roles. Literally, she would do uh, that. Yes, she she would change some element of her clothing to help. Brilliant. Switch
switch the part of her brain to where she needs to be. Brilliant. And, um, you know, sometimes I, uh, I, I talk about this with my, uh, with my wife who, um, I, uh, I, she's a musician as well. Right. And we, we do a lot of, uh, work together both, uh, creatively and business wise. And mm-hmm. she sometimes, um, reminds me, uh, that in certain circumstances I need to be, um, the the artist or composer version of myself, right. and then in certain <laughs> instances, I need to be the CEO yeah. or the chief yeah. marketing officer version right. of myself. Yes, yeah. And uh, it's um, for me at least. I, I can't speak to everyone else out there, but for me at least, trying to car- compartmentalize and sort of separate the roles like that keeps me sane. Keeps mm-hmm. me from when I'm sitting down to create something to write a piece of music. It it can be deadly to sit there and think, how am I going to make this so people like it? Oh, right, 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 that, right of course. That's not what I want in my head when I'm making music. Right. I want I want to make cool music that turns me on. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Then once it's done, I want to look at it and see, okay, again, for better or worse, right. um, I now have to put on my CMO hat and right. think, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> yeah, right. Then, yeah, once you're done with the creative process, then you have to look, go back and look at it from another with another set of eyes. Yeah, it's it's one one way of doing it. Yeah. Indeed. Well, wow. and I think that that looking at the big picture and which we have to do when we're thinking of ourselves uh, as as full time musicians who aren't already on tour with, you know, who aren't Lady Gaga or who aren't you know Coldplay or or a, a huge stadium touring act. If you there's a lot of stuff you have to do. You know, there there are many opportunities to to um, do the things you need to do to pay the bills and and keep yourself as a creative artist Mm -hmm. and looking at things big picture and understanding that it is important for you to be creative. It is important for you to be (laughs) aware of marketing. It is important for you to be aware of image. It is important for you to be a good hang. It is important for you to be authentic. All of those are, can be true statements. And I like your, I, I like the way you're describing compartmentalizing them because then you can just sit down at the piano or sit down with your guitar and write something brilliant that moves you yeah and then beyond that one, one go go please oh sorry just one one thing i want to add is that it's uh you know hearing you describe all these things and hearing myself say all of these things i think it's important to uh to mention that um no one is going to be an expert at all of these things all the time amen yeah it's a lot yeah and i think in any given moment you just have to do the best you can. Yeah, you know, absolutely. maybe a given day or given week or given month, the artist or composer version of you or producer version of you is really going to be thriving, and the CEO, you know, version is going to be on vacation. Yes, um, you know, you just have to do the best you can to right. summon each sort of skill set and each mindset as needed by whatever you're dealing with at the moment. No, absolutely. And I, and I would I would the thing that I would add on top of that. Uh, would be to say that uh, that becomes easier to do if you, uh, the more you become aware that you do have these different jobs within a job, that it's you can allow yourself that uh, that those extended periods of time where you are the creative artist and know that you're not going to get to the CEO marketing part of yourself. As long as you know that you still have the CEO marketing part of yourself that needs to be attended to at some point, uh, 
that knowing that these that these different parts of your career are important, then you can make us you can go with the flow and let yourself create, or you can schedule it out, or you can do whatever works for you to make sure that you're attending to all of them. But it's important to know that they are all of them. It's uh, I'm I'm glad you said that. I I agree with that, and I'm glad you mentioned scheduling in uh, in particular. That's something that I've been thinking about recently. Um, I've I've had two or three big projects in the last six months or so. One was uh, a big orchestration for uh, a, a composer colleague of mine. Another was um, scoring for a cartoon series and then producing a pop song for an, a, a songwriter that I've been working with. Nice. And Fantastic. all of those it, super fun, all-over-the-place projects, but I've I've really enjoyed them. And as far as sinking my teeth into them and really being able to deliver creatively and get the work done, I've really had to be careful about scheduling myself. I've had to pretty much carve out a full eight-hour day where there's nothing else that I'm thinking about, where the, the CEO, I tell the CEO version, you know, go, go to the beach, go <laughs> have your day off. Whatever. Exactly. You're, you're not, you're not wanted. Yes. Yes. Um, because it just, Doing any sort of change from getting into that creative flow to the more administrative stuff or the more marketing stuff, right. it just throws me. I, I can't do it. Absolutely. It makes my head feel like it's going to break. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm in the mode of the more administrative marketing um, executive stuff, it's a lot easier to jump around from, okay, maybe I'm going to spend half an hour um, you know, working on this, uh, this blog post for disc makers and right. then... I'm going to reach out to these uh, publishing contacts that I have, and then I'm going to do some social media posts for my trio residency show, that sort of thing. It's a lot easier to do a quick change from that, but if I want to sit down and get a solid minute of music composed for uh, this cartoon series, I I need the uninterrupted time, and uh, I I don't know if... um, I don't know what anyone else in that situation would do. Maybe they would have different patterns, but it was a learning experience to really become aware of what I needed to do the job and then try to schedule myself accordingly yeah. to be yeah. able to deliver at the level that I wanted to deliver. Right well, and that, that makes me want to add one more thing to uh, being a, a successful uh, full-time musician, which is self-awareness. Because what you're describing there is just desperately dripping with self-awareness like you know what you have to do how you work and how you're going to get the best out of you and you're how you're going to enjoy it the most yeah so i I love that it's a survival tactic yeah it's perfect you you got (laughs) you have to figure out what works for you (laughs) absolutely (laughs) exactly so can you uh is uh can you share with us what the uh what the cartoon is uh sure i'd be happy to it's um a project called the adventures of mina and jack uh, it was a, a single episode that I scored. Uh, it's up on YouTube right now. Um, I think it's called "The Case of the Missing Doll," and uh, fantastic! It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's so cool! Uh, about eight minutes long, and um, I, I really liked working on it. The uh, the producers uh, were were interested in having a um, uh, a soundtrack that was very much not Barney. I'm I'm hating a lot on Barney. But I don't really know why. It's a huge influence, man. Barney's a massive. Yeah, influence. right. <laughs> Pearl Jam, Bill Evans, Bill Evans, Barney, and Barney. Barney. Exactly. Mozart, you know. Absolutely. There you go. There's the- <laughs> That's them. One in the same. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, 
just because I, I want to, I want people to be able to to uh, get all of the Michael Gallant that they can. Um, your trio um, has a couple of albums out that are that are really critically acclaimed. There's 2013's Completely and the 2015 Live Plus One. Um, uh, you guys have played all over the place and been all over the place. And then the cartoon. Uh, is there anything else that where they could where they should be looking for you? Twitter is Michael underscore Gallant G A L L A N T, yeah. and Facebook is Facebook dot com slash Gallant Music. Fantastic. And, uh, post articles, gigs, projects, all sorts of stuff up there. Yeah, man, and 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 wherever you can read uh, Michael's writing, prolific writer, prolific composer, playing all the time. I, again, you're just doing it, and. And it's an inspiration. So Absolutely, I would, I would, uh, I would um, suggest any of our listeners go and and check out any of your mediums. They're all phenomenal. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for talking with us it. today, Mike. We 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 had a great time. We really did. Absolutely, been looking forward to it for weeks, and you did not disappoint. Absolutely, man. <laughs> ah, thank you. Well, my my pleasure. I feel like I could keep you guys on the phone talking about this stuff for another five hours. Well, well we will call you back another time. Absolutely, then. we're just gonna have to do another episode, man. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All That's right. awesome. Michael, thanks. Have a great day, man. We'll, we will talk to you soon. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That okay. was great. So that was so fun. So fun. The guy is just such an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Yeah. It, and, really, it's incredible. And, and real life experience and, and, and well... Like like well thought, all of his ideas oh, yeah, are well all thought of it. out, and and uh, yeah, all of it. You know, I love I love that uh, that when when one of us, it seemed like me mostly, would say something that would sort of rub him the wrong way, that he was really quick to um, say, well, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah, I love or, that. I love that too. That was awesome. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um, and the one part that I that maybe we'll talk to him about again when we when we do talk to him because I because I really do oh yeah I would love that that will have to be we'll we'll have to title this Michael Gallant episode one the uh, you know where where he sort of felt like he stiffened up about the idea of being a product yeah so the one thing I didn't I didn't want to talk about but that I do want to remind our listeners is that if you are a side person if you are looking to hire yourself out in that way you are a commodity. Your commodity is your skill and your talent and your passion. And right. Your- and it's not a bad thing to be that. You know, if you are, uh, if you're a freelance writer, uh, you know, that's your commodity. That's your superpower. That's your talent. Right. 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 So what we talk about is a superpower all the time. Well, that is something that you can really capitalize on Um and it is a positive thing. Yeah. Not absolutely. a negative thing. Absolutely. Right? So, man, I just, I had a blast listening to that. I'm going to go back and listen to it again because he said a bunch of stuff that I want to embed in my own. Me too. I was like, that's a brilliant one. <laughs> so great. So, uh, you know, again, looking for inspiration? This is a good one for you. Absolutely. So, until next time, remember, you got this. We got your back. Yeah.